Vincent Diem is an inter internationally recognized communicator, consultant, motivator, preacher, and teacher. Riley, widely regarded as one of the most creative communicators in the church. He has the God-given ability to reach all people, regardless of age, gender, culture, or race. Vincent lives just outside of Baltimore, Maryland, with his wife, Tracy. Together, they have, a, they have raised three adult children, a son, Kendall, 26, who serves as an officer in the United States Army. Two daughters, Kelly, 22, is a senior at Washington Adventist University, and Kayla, 20, who is a junior at Andrews University. As a father, a husband, a pastor, and a man, his primary desire is to live his life in a passionate pursuit of God's presence. After the special music, the next voice you will hear is that of the great and awesome Pastor Vincent Dean. Tweet that.
First of all, let me explain why I'm wearing a suit today. <laughs> I had my whole wardrobe planned. I'm going to wear these pants with this shirt. I'm going to wear these jeans with this shirt. I had everything planned in this morning. This morning I uh, got up and I ironed my pants and Hi. <laughs> Suffer the little children. Um, I uh, had everything prepared. I had ironed uh, my shirt, had ironed my pants. You know, everything was ready to go. Pulled it off the hanger this morning and went to put my pants on. And understand, I've eaten three three buffets since I came to Vegas. And y'all took really, really good care of me. And so I went and I put my pants on and they closed. Um, and I asked my wife twice and I never asked her this question. I asked her, I said, did these look tight? <laughs> and she did what I've done a hundred times. No, no, they're fine, they're fine. But I was like sucking in and I'm like, what, I said, I can make it through the day with them. I said, it's not a problem. I said, I can wear them, no problem. And then she said something to me. She said, well, you want to be comfortable. You've got to have that on for a good portion of the day. So you've got to be comfortable. And I don't think she really understood the full impact of what she said because the only other thing that I had that I thought would be acceptable for the 11 o'clock hour as you typically do it is this. Now remember last night, those of you were the here, that were here, I made reference to my mother would love to have seen me in a suit, right? Well, I'm wearing a suit and as of just a minute ago, the internet feed was down, so my mom's not able to see me in a suit. It's on now. Hey mom. Hey mom, I, um, I got a suit on. Um, see, see, a lot of times God answers your prayers even when you don't pray. Hey, Bill. Hey, Bill. Um, God answers your prayers even when you don't pray them. Here's, here's something. Um, my, friend that, uh, my friend that was uh, 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 back there running the video, he said, oh, we've got a, we've got a, uh, we've got a video that we're going to show, a YouTube video, and uh, we're going to play it right after, uh, right after the prayer time. And I said, oh, no problem. And I just kind of looked over his shoulder and I looked at the screen. I said, 10 minutes. I said, we're really into worship right now. I said, I, I, said, I know the video. I said, I believe it's awesome. I said, but I think 10 minutes is maybe a, a little bit too long. And he said, what do you want me to do? I said, I don't, I don't know. Don't play it. Well, I can't do that because my friend asked me, could I play it for the people? I said, but 10 minutes is a long time. We get out of here at 2 o'clock, it's my fault. They blame the bald-headed white guy. And I didn't pray. But he played the video. And it didn't work. God answers your prayers even when you don't pray them. Because I believe, I believe my brother and sister that did the prayer time, they set us up perfectly for worship. My brother that came up to do the offering set us up perfect for worship. 
the choir perfect for worship. I embarrassed you. Where's the young lady I embarrassed last night? She's not here. You take the $20. (laughs) Last night I told a young lady that um, she's not at the doctor getting her ears checked, is she? She's good. Um, Last night we we played a little game. This young lady um, asked her could she do recite her her alphabet backwards and so as she did it the first time I yelled in her ear the second time I gurgled water third time I was gonna give her a wet willy almost did but then I didn't know how big her dad was so I decided against it um, and she couldn't do it but I told her I was gonna give her the twenty dollars as if she did anyways because God's grace is greater than even our mistakes and so I figure if his grace is that big the most I could do the least I could do is uh, do that also. Um, I want I want to thank uh, Pastor Madden. Uh, I don't see him right now. He might be uh, back. Uh, cha- oh, there he is. There he is. I see the top of his head. Uh, uh, O'Neill, uh, because that's what I, I call him. Uh, I, I appreciate you, and I, I thank you for 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 all that you've done uh, in facilitating uh, my wife and I being so comfortable here. I thank you for not being prideful and arrogant because a prideful and arrogant man would preach his own evangelistic series. A prideful and arrogant man would want to keep all the numbers to himself. A prideful and arrogant man would use his evangelistic money or his evangelism funds that is given to you by the conference. You would use those to improve your website and your your streaming of your services or or, or other things that could make you look good. But I thank you. I thank you for all the, all the things that you've done for me, both the last time I was here and, and this time. You've made us, uh, you've made us feel welcome, and, uh, and you've taken, taken great care of us. And I thank you, and I appreciate you for that. You can go ahead. You can go ahead. I want to thank you, church, for being, uh, for being so receptive to someone is, that is different from most of you. There's a lot of different ways I could go with that. But I, um, I'm excited. I'm excited because last night I stayed up till about one o'clock Pacific Standard Time, just seeking, seeking God's face and what He wanted me to share with you. And I thought I had an idea. I thought I had an idea of what direction we were going to go. But as soon as, as soon as I really began to seek God and, and His face, it became obvious that that um. I'm not really going to preach today. I'm, I'm just going to show you something in the Scripture that you've looked at a hundred, maybe a thousand times over your lifetime. And I hope that maybe you'll see it differently than you had the first 999,000 times. The church that I just left, uh, our piano player is one of my best friends. We went to college together. Uh, He graduated the year uh, before I did. Uh, He was a math major. His undergrad was in in math. He then graduated and went on to the University of Texas 
in Dallas, got his master's degree in statistical analysis. He then went and got his PhD in applied mathematics. He is not, I think he's maybe 32, 32 years old, and he is the chair of the math department at a university in Maryland. And so I asked him to present to me the most difficult math problem that he could come up with. Now, I want you to be honest. Is there any one person in here that understands absolutely everything that's on the screen? Is there not one? I feel like Noah. Is there one person that... No, not one. Good. Then we all have something in common. Although that is mathematics, and although there is at least one Greek letter up there, there... Oh, two, excuse me. Sorry. There's two Greek letters up there. This looks literally like Greek to me. So I asked him to show, show our congregation this, the church that I pastored previously to the one that I pastor now. I asked him to show this formula and present the problem to the congregation and explain to them how to work through it. And I asked him to do it like this. I said, whatever you do, keep it simple. He said to me, Vince, it's impossible for me to make it simple. And I said, but, but come on. And so he stood up and he had his dry erase board and he began to teach because that's what he does for a living. He began to teach the congregation how to solve this problem. And no matter how much he dumbed it down, it was still confusing to me. There are some of us that treat salvation the same way. We make it much more difficult than it needs to be. We brag in our institution about our understanding of Scripture. However, the application of said Scripture becomes convoluted, confusing, and down, downright geniified. I know that's not a word. But you have to be a genius in a lot of cases to understand the nooks and the crannies of everything that we as Christians, everything that we as Seventh-day Adventists believe. You've got to, on a lot of levels, have a firm and absolute understanding not only, not only of Scripture, but also, also mathematics, Right? All the prophecies and the numbers, and you take this off of that. And not only do you have to understand your Bible, you got to understand history, you got to understand mathematics, you got to understand culture, you got to understand application, and we make it so confusing. You got to be a virtual genius to understand the ins and the outs and the ups and the downs when really salvation is supposed to be easy. The dumbest person in this room, me, should have the ability to understand salvation without it having, be, having to become thickened by all the intricate nuances of our belief structure. So I asked him after he presented this problem, 
I asked him, I said, Troy, can you please keep it simple? Troy, please keep it simple because, because, because I don't understand complex things. My, my brain understands I'm from Stanley County, North Carolina. I grew up in a little town called New London right outside of Albemarle, North Carolina. My wife hates it when I say this, but the town is so small you can spit and drown half the population. That's small. And I didn't get the greatest education growing up. Fact of the matter is, I didn't really pay attention that much in school. And because I didn't really pay attention that much in school, when we got to the more complex things, uh, when we got to the more complex things in our education, in our grade system, as, as I progressed, as things got more and more difficult, I had more and more trouble because the foundation was not given. Could it be the reason why we have such a hard time getting people and keeping people is because we make the foundation so, so difficult? So today, our focus is going to be on keeping it simple. Today, our focus is going to be taking probably one of the most well-known of Jesus' stories. And we're going to boil all the meat off the bone. Excuse me. We're going to take all the veggie patties out of the pack. One of those brilliant men that ever lived, Leonardo da Vinci, says simplicity is the ultimate sophistication. So today, we're going to make things simple. Not only are we going to make things simple, we're going to keep them simple. The title of our message, if you have not guessed by now, is Keeping It Simple. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we give you total and absolute control over this service. Lord, we ask that your Holy Spirit be the most powerful thing in this building. Lord, I pray that you will speak directly to our hearts. Lord, and if I am in the way, if there's anything in my life that will prevent your word from being spread the way that you desire, Lord, I rebuke myself in the name of Jesus. Lord, I pray that you will wrap your arms around us and take us where you want us to go. In the precious name of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen. 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 We're going to be talking about making things simple, keeping things simple today. And so what's the best way to understand what simple is, well, it's to look at the dictionary definition. The dictionary definition is broken up into three different, separate definitions. The first definition of, of simple is of or characteristic of low rank or status, humble and unpretentious. I said that word. That's, that's a pretty big word. I'm proud of myself. Let's make that simple. One way to describe simplicity is being humble. The second dictionary definition says easily understood or done, presenting no difficulty. Presenting no difficulty. In other words, being simple is easy. Third dictionary definition says of low or abnormally low intelligence. In other words, being ignorant. These three definitions of simple. Simple can mean humble. Simple can mean easy. Simple can mean ignorant. All three of these dictionary definitions. I'm going to introduce you to someone in Scripture that three different individuals, excuse me, that identify with each one of these definitions of simple and how we can say that all three of them's reactions were simple. It's winner of 
A.D. 30, and Jesus has just left Jerusalem and gone east of the Jordan. And Jesus has company in your Bibles, Luke chapter 15, verses 1 and 2. Now the tax collectors and sinners. Now the tax collectors and sinners. Now the tax collectors and sinners. I fall in one of those categories. Do you? Well, the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. The upper crust is in the same location as the dregs of society. The people that owned homes were there with the homeless. Those that were sick were there with those that were physically well off. The educated mingled with the illiterate. The religious mingled with those that were not as religious. Jesus was having what church is supposed to look like. But how many times do our churches resemble more of a club than a gathering of people that believe in the same God? These two totally separate groups have come together. And so Jesus begins to tell Three different stories. The first story he tells is what happens when there is a, a, a shepherd that loses a sheep and how he leaves the 99 to go look for that one, right? And then right on the tails of that story, he tells the, the story of a woman that loses a coin and how she literally tears her house apart. Imagine tearing the floorboards up looking for that one coin. Imagine for a moment that you are not a gambler for some of you, that would not be easy to do. Imagine for a moment you are not a gambler, but as you are walking into the grocery store on a Thursday afternoon, you are taking a buggy from out of the outside rack to push it in into the store, and you look underneath the buggy as you're pulling it back, and you see what appears to you, because you don't know for sure, it appears to you as if that is a $10,000 poker chip. <laughs> you bend over. You pick it up. It appears to be valid. It appears to be real. It, it appears to be authentic. And so you take that poker chip and you go and put it in the garbage. No, you don't. No, you don't. Be honest. You bet on black. No, you don't do that either. Be, be honest. Be honest. You take that chip. You look at it. You see, where is it from? Oh, it's from the Bellagio. So you make your way down Las Vegas Boulevard. You walk. You park in the Bellagio because parking is free because they don't want you to spend your money on parking. They want you to spend your money inside the casino. So you take this $10,000 poker chip up to the cashier's window at the Bellagio. You slide it to her and you preface the conversation by saying, is this real? Because you know trying to pass off a false poker chip my understanding is a federal crime. 
She looks at it. She scans it. She does all those things because they got little microchips in them these days, right? She looks at it. She says, this is the real deal. She says, do you want me to cash it out for you? And you say, no, thank you. You take that $10,000 poker chip, you put it in your pocket, you go to the parking garage, you leave, you drive home because you have to show your wife or your husband this poker chip because she's going to question where that 10 grand came from. Excuse me. Excuse me. She's going to question where that $7,000 comes from. <laughs> Tell me I'm lying. Tell me I'm lying. Tell me I'm lying. Honey, I won $9,000 today. Shh, not so loud. No, but you put it in your pocket. You go to the parking garage. You drive. You make your way home, and you, you want to present her. You want to show her what you found going in the grocery store. You want to present it to her. You want to show it to her. And so, honey, you come in the door. You throw the door. So, honey, honey, you'll never guess what happened today. Honey, I was at the grocery store. I went to get the pancake mix. The, the eggs, I went to go get the milk, the juice. I went to go get all the things that you sent me for. But even before I got in, I went to pull the cart back. And when I pulled the cart back, there was, there was a chip there. And I went and I picked it up and I looked at it. And it said it was a $10,000 chip from the Bellagio, honey. And, and, I went, and I went down. That's why I'm late. I went down to the Bellagio because I wanted to make sure that it was real. I found this chip. And look, honey, here it is. Well, I know it's got to be here somewhere. I know it's... You begin to retrace your steps through the garage into the front seat of the car. You look under the seat. You, you look under the, the floor mats. You, you even drive all the way back to Las Vegas Boulevard to the Bellagio. You find your exact same spot, your parking spot. You look, you look all over for that chip. How passionate would you be to find that chip that's where this woman was she had lost this coin that to her was worth as much as that poker chip would be to you $10,000 will change your life $5,000 will change your life $10 would change my life Jesus talked about the lost sheep. He talked about the lost coin. And then he begins the most famous parable in Scripture. And he said, there was a man, Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. I would like to apologize to you on behalf of every other pastor that has presented this scripture, these two scriptures incorrectly. I want to apologize to you on behalf of every pastor that stood in this pulpit and any other pulpit that you have visited and presented this like this. What the son was asking for was that his father would be dead. Have you heard that? There are people that say, Dad, I wish you were dead, so give me the property already. There are even some Bible commentaries that say that by asking for this money before his father's death, 
He's actually saying, I do not value you on this earth. Give me what's coming to me so I can go about my business. There is at least one person in here that's ever heard it preached like that. I have preached it like that before because I have been in stages at one time or another of ignorance in my life. If I would have looked harder and studied harder, what I would have learned is that it is a Jewish tradition of this day. It was a Jewish tradition of this day before the father would die to separate and divide his belongings to and give it to his children. That was tradition. There are some parents even today that are maybe not of Jewish descent, but what they will do as they're getting closer and they realize I'm not going to live too much longer, maybe, maybe five more years, maybe ten more years, they will carve off a portion of, of, of their income. They will save it, they will live off of it, and they will give it to their children and their grandchildren so that they can enjoy the smiles and the laughs and the interactions with those that would receive that inheritance and they would not get to see those smiles if they were dead. So this, this son, this son asked his father, can I have my inheritance now? And the father went above and beyond what the son asked. Not only did he give that son what was coming to him, he gave his second son what was coming to him also. Story continues. Not many days later, the younger son, he packed his bags. He went and bought a new Samsonite rolling garment bag, and he left. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into the far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. He took the money and he wasted it. In verse 14, and when he had spent everything, how much? He had spent everything. A severe famine. Notice that the famine did not start until after he had spent everything. Notice the bad luck didn't come till he had, didn't have anything to combat the bad luck. A severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. He spent all his father gave him. My two favorite verses of the story. So he went and he hired himself out as one of the citizens of that country, to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. And no one gave him anything. It says here, and he was longing to be fed. But if you look at the end, it says no one gave him anything. He was in such a bad situation, he would have eaten the slop that the pigs ate. But he couldn't get to it because the owner didn't give him permission to eat the slop that was given to the pigs. So he is starving. He is also hanging out with the pigs, which makes him, according to the Levitical law, makes him unclean. Understand that the people, the places, and the things that you, spend, that you associate your with, you associate yourself with most of the time, determines whether you are clean or not. The people, places, and things that you associate yourself with most of the time determines your level of cleanliness. So 
So he's hanging out with the pigs and he's starving. But verse 17 says, But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. The Bible says when he came to his senses, when he came to himself, when he came to his senses, when he came to his senses, when he came to himself. It does not say when he repented of his sin. It does not say when he accepts the 24 fundamental beliefs of the church. It says when he feels something inside of him pulling him from where he is to where he needs to be. When he comes to himself, the Bible said he arose and he came to his father. Just that, that first sentence, and he arose and came to his father. When the Bible says that he arose and went to his father, he was not going to his father because he missed his father. He is not homesick. He does not miss his feather comforter, his pillow top mattress, or his dual head shower pick, shower head. He misses the food. It doesn't say that he missed his father. He missed what he could get from his father. See, we dress up a lot of times why people come to Jesus. People come to Jesus for one reason, because they need him. That is why Jesus says it is easier for a rich man to go through the head, excuse me, for a camel to pass through the, the eye of a needle than it is for a rich person to get into heaven. Because if you got all the money you need, you don't need our Father. He arose and came to his father. But while, we, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion. We talked the other night about the word compassion. In this sense, it also is from the Greek word splakisanamai. The other night I told you that the Greek word is splakisanamai. What was the Hebrew word that this came from? Splunkna. Splunkna is the Hebrew word. The Hebrew word splunkna means your entrails, means your bowels, means the lowest part of your intestines. It means your guts, your innards, your chitlins. <laughs> Can I get... No, we're not amen in that. We all right. What does that mean and how does that apply to the word compassion? It means that when Jesus talks about compassion, he means feeling something from the deepest part of you. As deep as you can get inside of a person is how deep Jesus feels for you. And the father felt this way for his son. And the Bible says that he ran and embraced him. You understand that individuals with money don't typically run, hug, and kiss people in public. But this father, this father 
ran to his son. It says he arose and came to his father. You want to be successful, then you cannot be successful without human effort. You cannot get where God wants you to be relying totally and absolutely on God to do all the heavy lifting. The pastor, the pastor that baptized my son when he was 10 or 11 years old, his name is Rudy Juarez. He pastored in Oklahoma and in Texas. He was actually the first pastor that allowed me to preach as an unordained deacon. And his pet phrase was, if you want to be successful, you have to couple God's divine power with your human effort. He could not have gotten closer to the Father if he would have stayed still. Some of you have not received what God has promised you because you have not moved your butts from where they've been for the last 20 years. It is impossible to reach the community for Christ when all you do is sit on the pews. I had a brother ask me the other night, standing right over there, he asked me, what if you are a Christian and you don't reach out? I'm paraphrasing the question. What if you are a Christian, but you are not actively engaged in leading people to Jesus? You are not out there knocking on doors or, or, or being kind and compassionate and loving to other people or maybe talking to people at the bus stop or, or, or at the, the grocery store or, or, or at work. If you're not actively engaged in trying everything in your mind that you could possibly do in leading people to Christ, then by definition, you are not a disciple of Jesus Christ. If you are not a disciple of Jesus Christ, you are not a Christian. If you are not a Christian, I do not care how much money you pay in tithes. I don't care if you go to church on Tuesday or Thursday or Wednesday, Sunday, or Lord forbid, the Sabbath. You won't make it to heaven. Because by the book definition, a Christian is someone that spreads the good news of Jesus. The vision that God has planted inside of this church will never, ever, ever realize if all you do is come to church, punch your Sabbath ticket, and go home and eat your Veggie Link sandwich. <laughs> Listening to the Gaither reunion tour. Too many of you know what that is. That's disappointing. <laughs> I, um, I um, want to encourage you for, to get up from where you are and move where God wants you to be. Amen. He arose and he came to his father father ran and embraced him and kissed him and the son said to him he had this rehearsed father father I have father I have sinned father I have sinned against heaven and I've sinned father I've sinned against I've sinned against you I am no longer Worthy to be called your son. <laughs> he had it rehearsed the whole way home. 
I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. I'm no longer worthy to be called be called your son. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And he goes and he says exactly the way he rehearsed it. He stands in front of his father and says, Father, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And the father said, Foolishness. The father said, Foolishness. Shut up. If he had a sock, he would have put it in his mouth. Stop talking. He said, my son that was dead, he is alive now. My, my, my son that was lost is found now. Uh, go get, go get the, the fine robe. Bring it for my son. Bring the best sandals. Bring those and put them on his feet. Bring the ring that signifies my authority over the kingdom and put it on his finger. Do you not find it strange that a lot of times in Scripture it talks about Jesus and God ordaining us with jewelry and we debate over and over and over again? Oh, I, I, I stand behind the statement of the church. I just find it strange, that's all. The father, the father did not give him a watch. The father said, give him my ring. Again, I support the stance of the church. I'm just asking a question. The father ignored what he had to say. I'm in so much trouble right now. The father... The father ignored him. He said, get, it, get him the robe, get him the ring, get him the sandals. Matter of fact, get him, get him the fattened calf. Get him that, fat, that calf that we've been feeding the best barley to, the best wheat to. The, give, him, give him, bring that calf, kill that calf, and cook him. In order to experience true celebration, there must be sacrifice. In order, in order for there truly to be reconciliation between a father and a son, in this particular case, for it to really be a party, there had to be a sacrifice. That could preach for the next hour. But we will not. Unless you want... No, I'm sorry. Um, my son that was lost is now found. My son that was dead is now alive. But then the second son comes. And the Bible says that the second son was angry and he refused to go in to the party. His father came out and entreated him. Son, what, you know, what are you doing? What, what are you doing? I mean, come on, your brother's home. You missed your brother, right? You know, just because you didn't go off and spend all your money on prostitutes and strip shows and slot machines just because you didn't do all that stuff doesn't doesn't mean you're any better or any worse than him he's your brother you should love him but the but he answered the son answered his father look these many years i have served you and i never disobeyed your command yet you never gave me a young goat that i might celebrate look over these two verses how many Singular personal pronouns are there. I, I again, me, I, 
and my. This young man made it all about him. The reason why we never get closer to God than we are is we think it's all about us. One of my favorite authors paints the picture like this. It's as if we go to see Batman, The Dark Knight Rises. You don't know that movie. I have seen it for research purposes. <laughs> it is as if you go to see the movie, not look at the DVD. You go to the movies. We're not debating that. But you go to the movie because you understand that there's some there's an underpinning of religious religious teachings in in that movie much like Star Wars was was based on the battle between good and evil and God and Satan and most of the great films uh, of, of our day are written with a biblical underpinning the fight against good and evil the fight against the good guy with the white hat the bad guy with the black hat you understand that, that I just I went to see it to do my research and so I go there expecting to see Batman Christian Bale played Batman I'm expecting to see Batman and when it is time for the main character to come on the screen there is Christian Bale as Bruce Wayne. Rich man, huge mansion, got the, the running uh, Wayne Enterprises and industries and living at Wayne Manor and all those great things. But when it's time for him to fight crime, he goes and he puts on his costume and he comes out and you see him and he's dressed like Peter Pan. And you were like, oh no, this is Batman. This is a Dark Knight Rises. Why is he dressed like Peter Pan? Peter Pan doesn't fight the Joker, Bane, Two-Face. What in the world is he dressed like that for? He looks more like Robin than Batman. See, many of you do that with the story of Christ. See, you know that when you study the birth, life, crucifixion, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, Jesus is the center, the main character of that picture. But many of us, we like to take Jesus down from that cross and replace him with us. We like the light the camera, the marquee to be about us. We would love to replace Batman, the Dark Knight Rises with Vince Man, the White Man Rises. <laughs> that didn't sound right. <laughs> but see, that's, but that's the truth. We a lot of times try to make this thing which is our Christian walk about us. But you are not the main character of the story. You are not, you are not 
the protagonist of this novel. You are an understudy at best, a bit part player at worst. You are the person in the back of a friend's episode drinking coffee <laughs> at the coffee shop. You're the one in the back when Joey and, 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 and give me somebody else. Um, who? Phoebe, yeah. Phoebe, why Phoebe? Ah, she just irks me. When they're, they're sitting there talking and the camera's on them and there's Joey and there's Phoebe and they're sitting there and you're the person in the back ordering your coffee. You don't even hear what you say on camera. You just say... That's us. That's us in this story. That's us in this story. But we want to flip around and we want to make this about us, like this son, right? We want to make the story about us. But my favorite verse is James chapter 4 and verse 6. But God gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. Here, here's something that you don't want to miss. If you are prideful and arrogant and you're worried about how people are going to think about you if they knew the tr truth about you, then all of heaven is in opposition to you. That means your prayers will not be answered. It means that when you become prideful and arrogant, thinking that this show is about the V-I-N-C-E and not the J-E-S-U-S, -S, then what happens is, is that there is a switch in the supernatural. And those angels that were standing protecting you pivot and now stand against you. This son is demonstrating what happens when you think the story is all about you. We, as a church, possess what I like to call institutional arrogance. Write that down. We impress people so much with our knowledge of Scripture, our knowledge of prophecy, our knowledge of the dates and what this means and what that means that our heads begin to inflate thinking that, yes, true knowledge is power, but belief that knowledge is everything. Knowledge does not trump experience. My son is a lieutenant in the United States Army. My son has been in the Army just over a year. My son is eclectic and eccentric. He, he's done things like he graduated from the University of Texas Business Honors Program, the Red McComb School of Business. Um, after that, he went to work for a year for AmeriCorps, making $800 a month. He then left that, came home for a little while with us, then he moved to Wisconsin, began to work for a, a medical software company, uh, worked for them for two years, worked really, really hard, make a, made, a, made a lot of money really, really fast, and just quit work and moved to Brazil for three months. The only reason was he wanted to learn Portuguese. He came back, he took the LSAT, um, took the LSAT, scored uh, very, very high on the LSAT, so much so that his scores could get him into Duke, Georgetown, 
Harvard, Stanford Law Schools, and then he changes direction again after he made such a good grade on the LSAT, and he says, I'm going to go in the Army. So he enlisted, and he goes into the United States Army. He goes to, o he goes to basic. He goes to OCS, finishes o OCS, goes to Bullock Basic Officer Leadership Training Course. He finishes that, and now he's at his permanent duty station in El Paso, Texas. My son has only been in the Army for a year, yet he is in charge of a command sergeant major that has been in for 29 years. That command sergeant major probably does not have as many letters behind his name as my son does. Because no matter how much you know, there is, also, there is always somebody with more experience than you that can teach you something. We a lot of times substitute Knowledge for experience. You can study all day about God, but until you experience Him, you know nothing. I'm almost done. I'm almost done. Luke chapter 15, watch what happens. The son's continuing. But when this son of yours, not even when my brother came back, when this son of yours, me and Tracy do that sometimes. Tracy, your son is moving to Brazil. Graduated from college with a 4.2 GPA. Tracy, my son, made a 4.2 GPA. <laughs> but when this son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And the father said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this, your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and he is found. These three individuals, the son that left, the son that stayed, and the father, Show us something about how simple the gospel should be. The son's journey back to his father was a simple one. Remember, he did not go back to his father. He did not go back to his father because he missed his father. He went back to his father because he was Hungry, but the process of him going back home to his father, he had to humble himself to realize he couldn't get himself out of the mess that he had written the check for. Put it another way, he could not cash that check with his hind part. The son's journey back to his father was one that demonstrated humility that demonstrated the total abs absolute absence of, of pride and arrogance. The, the, the son that came back to his father demonstrated the first quality if you want to draw closer to Jesus. If you want to give your life to the Lord, the first thing you have to realize is that you ain't in charge of this thing. The world does not revolve around you. The world revolves around him and we just ride this planet and the sooner you realize that the quicker you will return to God's favor 
I remember an old country preacher used to say, this universe does not belong to you. You are not in charge of this one. When you get to heaven, God may give you one there, but for now, this universe is not yours to run over. Humility is the first identifier that you must have if you're going to come back to Jesus. His brother. His brother's reaction, it was a simple one too. It was a simple reaction because when his brother came back, he, like we, are ingrained to think more about ourselves than thinking about someone else. But his brother was weak, emaciated, thin, dirty, smelly, and stinky. And all this brother could do was think about himself, what he had been through, where he had gone. So this brother's reaction was an ignorant one. There is not one of you that call yourself a Christian that if a brother that has been lost comes home, you would not wrap your arms around that person, welcome them home, feed them, clean them, do all of those things for them unless they supposedly hurt you before they left. Unless you have not forgiven them for said harm that they supposedly did for you, you would be on the ignorant side of the stick. His brother made a terrible, terrible, uninformed, uneducated reaction. And then finally, well, before that, let's do this one, if I can get it. Sometimes people will not be able to see your joy because jealousy has clouded their vision. Because of jealousy, envy, bad feelings, people don't always and are not always as happy as you are about returning to the Lord. One of the most widely visited websites on the internet is a website entitled break.com, B-R-E-A-K, break.com. And this website became famous because all it shows is people tripping, falling, wrecking bicycles, skateboards. It shows people at their absolute worst. And sometimes in church, we love a good show. That's why a lot of times the business meeting is the most widely attended of our church gatherings. Because we love a good show. And a lot of times what happens is you get so locked into what we believe should be the way to do things that we don't experience that other people are... We miss the experience of other people experiencing joy and freedom. Make sense? Now let's get to the father. Almost done. The father's response to his son's return to him was a simple one. Which one of you, if your son or daughter had left home, and if your son, let's say for a moment, that you lived in 
Seattle, Washington. You lived in Seattle, Washington, and your son or your daughter moved to Las Vegas. And you found out that they were now participating in the escort business. And you come to Vegas and you search for your son, your daughter, and you can't find them. You put up flyers on the telephone poles on Las Vegas Strip. If anyone has seen this young man, if anyone has seen this young lady, and y'all had a fight before you left, and you said some hurtful things, and that's why they ran. And so you're holding yourself responsible for them being in that situation. Imagine for a moment that you leave this city, and you can't find your son, and you can't find your daughter. This city... This city that regularly chews young people up and spits them out. Keeps people asleep for 20 years until they wake up at 40 years old with hepatitis C, HIV, and any other transmitted disease that you could possibly get. And you go home and you're dejected. Your heart is broken. And as you're... There at home and you sit down in your recliner and tears have literally stained your face from the, the plane ride home. You've cried so much that your, your cheeks are actually a lighter complexion than the rest of your face. And the salt has done a number on your, on your cheeks and as you're sitting there and as you're crying, you hear the phone ring. And it's your house phone, not your cell phone. You've been meaning to disconnect your, cell, your house phone because you hardly ever use it. But you've had that number for 30-something years and all your good friends know that number by heart. You get up from your recliner, from your lazy boy. You pick up the phone. You hit talk. And on the other end of the phone, you hear your child, Daddy, I want to come home. Mom, I want to come home. I've made some horrible decisions. Just want to come home. Which one of you would speak into that receiver and say, keep your behind where it is? Which one of you would speak into the receiver and said, when you left, you left for good. Now I don't care if you stay there and die. Click. Is there not anyone? No, because the reaction, the response that the father gave to his son's return was an easy one. Because see, what happens, what happens is, is when we talk about God being the Father, right? Jesus called him Abba, called him Father. I prefer to call him Daddy. Because Daddy denotes personal relationship. But what happens is we paint a theologian by the name of, I believe it was Brendan Manning, said that God created us in his image and we returned the favor. We created God in our image. 
We think that, we think that, that somehow, way, the slop that we've been rolling around in, the foolishness that we've been engaged in, the sins that we have committed that we supposedly nobody else knows about, those things, we think that God's going to look at us and say, you're too dirty to come home. You stink, you smell, you've got all of these things wrong with you. Clean yourself up before I take you back. Never told this story I'm getting ready to tell. I remember the year was 1989. I had just been released from jail. I was sitting on a $10,000 bond for possession with intent to distribute crack cocaine. The police had a written confession. I've told you that portion of the story. But after I left Norfolk, I went back home, or I went back to the town that I went to college in. The town was Bowie's Creek. North Carolina is where Campbell University is located. I, I was a student at Campbell University before I got it mixed up in all that crazy stuff. And I remember one night I'm hanging out with, with one of my friends and we start drinking and doing other drugs and, and doing all those things. I was trying to do anything that I possibly can do to deaden the pain and sense of emptiness that I had inside of me. I don't want to go into the reasons why that pain, that emptiness was there, but I will tell you that most of you have that same hole. You've just put really, really strong duct tape over it. <laughs> so your life doesn't bleed into that hole. So I go out with my friend, my, my one friend, and we're, my one friend, I had more than one friend, but this particular guy was just me and him. So we go out and we're doing all the other stuff that we were doing. And I got so intoxicated this particular night. I lived two hours away from where my mother and my father lived. I mean, that's where, that's where Campbell University was. I lived two, two hours away from that school. And I got so intoxicated that campus security had to call my mother two hours away and said, can you please come get your son? Now, I was to the point where I was blackout drunk. I had had so much alcohol that I didn't realize what I was doing. And... There were certain bodily functions that needed to be relieved, and I was too drunk to get up to go to the restroom. There's at least one person in here that's been there, too. There's at least two people that have been there before. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but just don't judge me without... Some of y'all, as you get older, may make a mess of yourselves, too. <laughs> see how easy it is to judge? You see how easy? See how easy it is? Oh, no, you boo-booed? So my mother drove two hours. It was one o'clock in the morning when she got there. Actually, I think it was two o'clock in the morning when she got there. She gathered me up just as I was. She didn't take me into the shower. Didn't find a bathtub. She put me in the car just like I was. Smelly and all. She drove me home. She cleaned me up. She accepted me back in her home. Why? Because she loved me. Ask yourself for a moment, 
what does this prodigal son smell like? He's been rolling around in pig feces, pig urine. I wonder, did he take the time to step out of the pig stall to relieve himself, or did he just say, I'm already dirty and smelly? See, this story is a whole lot deeper than you give it credit for. He runs up to the father. He did not stop along the way and take a shower and put on Dolce Gabbana light blue. <laughs> the father ran to him, hugged him, and kissed him, ignoring the smells in the periphery. Because the only aroma that the father caught a whiff of at that moment was the smell of his son. You know the smell when your, your baby's born, right? And, and you give it that first bath at home? That Johnson & Johnson's baby lotion smell? Some of you are over 40 years old and you still use the pink bottle because it makes you feel clean and so I love that, right? That father's love overrode his faculties. And he hugged his son and he brought his son back in. And for God, his response to accept you into his arms regardless of what you smell like is an easy one. Can we cut the projector off and raise the screen, please? So last night I told you that... Um, Last night I told you that, that uh, after speaking with your pastor and being led, I, I believe, by the Holy Spirit, we are making the baptismal pool available today. We are making the pool available because I believe there is only one spirit that leads a person to be baptized, and that is the Holy Spirit. The enemy would get no credit. The enemy would get no kudos by you giving your life to the Lord today. Now, I want to ask you, please, limit your moving around for the next little bit. If you are one of the candidates, then I encourage you to go get dressed. But other than that, I'm going to invite everybody else to sit down. Because understand, the enemy's going to make your stomach grumble. Understand, the enemy's going to make you feel like you need to go relieve yourself. The enemy's going to make your baby cry. The enemy's going to do everything he can to keep you from being in here to hear and see what God's getting ready to do. So what we're going to do so I've asked your pastor if he would make the baptismal pool available and we've talked through this and what we and the elders have decided. One second, bring the screen down. One more time. You stay right where you are, pastor. I forgot one thing. This is the most important part of it all. I can't believe I lost this part. Hey, nice to see you. I'll save you. 
Oh, I can't get you. Okay. <laughs> Give me the projector back. Oh, that's too far. Up a little, up a little. Oh, that's great. Good thing he was there to save it. Give me, give me the projector. Is it coming on? Yeah, it's coming on. Okay, good. So I can keep going. See, what happens is whenever we make the baptismal pool available, what we're actually doing is we're practicing baptism the way it was originally designed to be. Because according to Scripture, whenever somebody had an encounter with Jesus, whenever somebody had an encounter with God, then what happens is immediately either Jesus or one of the disciples took advantage of that encounter and, and, and brought them to the point of decision. Do you wish to be a follower of God or do you wish to run away from God? So today we are doing exactly what happened with the Ethiopian eunuch and Philip. What must I do to be baptized? What must I do to be saved? There is water there. What is stopping me? The funny thing is, is that the Ethiopian eunuch had come from church that day. He sat underneath the best preachers, the best teachers, probably the best Sabbath school lesson that had ever been taught. Yet he missed, he went to church, and he did not have an encounter with God. Some of you have been in church your whole, time, whole life and have yet to see God move in your life. Anyways, back to this. This is the most important thing. Back to our equation. So I asked Troy to place this equation on the board and explain it to everyone. And would you all agree that this equation that he placed on the board, this problem that he placed on the board is a difficult one? Would you agree? Would you agree? Good. But what if I told you that this was a whole lot easier than it looked like? The answer was easier than coming up with the solution. Because the solution was already planned. See, if I knew how to walk you through this, which I don't, if I knew how to walk you through this, I could take you to the answer. And I could show you what the answer is. But lucky for me, I don't have to do that. All I have to do is show you the answer. Because all the work's already been worked out. And I'll show you the answer. You want to see the answer? The answer's one. The answer's one. That whole equation, all the ins and the outs, the ups and the downs, all the commandments, all the prophecies, everything else can be boiled down to one thing. Jesus Christ died on the cross for you. What will you do today to be with him or to leave him? Today's your decision. So what we have done, what we have done is some of us have provided garments for you to wear because we know that you did not come to church to be baptized. What I have done, and even, as, even though I am traveling, I am doing this because I believe that God's going to do something great today. I have brought my favorite pair of basketball shorts. They're clean. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> They're clean. Favorite pair of basketball shorts right there. I also have brought one of my favorite t-shirts, my Amnesty International t-shirt that says, Working for Human Rights. It's one of my favorite shirts. But I brought this today because we're going to make an appeal. You can turn this projector.